Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Riff. We're coming to you remotely this week because of COVID. So welcome, Cameron, as well to The Riff. He's here with me technologically. Hi, Lauren. How are you? Good, good. How are you surviving uh, working from home? Yeah, it's um, it's a bit different to what we're normally used to, but it's nice, you know. I can work in my PJs now, which is always a plus. It so is a plus. It's, um, yeah, no, it, it's been good. How about yourself? How are you finding it? Good. Um, I'm getting a lot more FaceTime with my dog. So my dog's very happy to have me home all the time. She's not going to know how to react when you're not there anymore. No, she's going to be very needy when we go back to, to normal. I just wanted to let everyone else know out there that Lauren's now being promoted to a permanent co-host of The Riff. So she'll be joining me every week. Yeah, this is due to obviously all the feedback you guys have been giving us. You seem to like Lauren a lot more than you like Dan. Uh, So Lauren's here now. She's here for good. We're keeping her on and um, got the focus on what we're going to talk about this week. I believe, Lauren, it's something to do with family law. Is that correct? It is. It is. And thank you to all the listeners giving fantastic feedback. I'm very excited to be a co-host on the best podcast ever. Um, (laughs) So As a family and criminal lawyer, um, the focus of my day-to-day work, a big component, is family law property division. So what happens when two people split up? How do you divvy up the property? So that's what we're going to be talking about and how the law deals with that. Um, Obviously, as always in these podcasts, we're doing a generally speaking podcast in terms of what can happen Generally speaking, there's a lot of outliers, um, as in all areas of law. Yeah, so so what I believe I know about family law property division, Lauren, which is very, very basic because I'm very interested to hear what you've got to say today. But I believe that there's four key steps. Is that right? That's right. That's right. So it's affectionately known by solicitors as the four-step process. And generally speaking, when we get clients to come in uh, and have a chat with us after they've separated, we give this four-step process as an explanation as to what lies ahead for them. Okay. So the first step, I believe, is what we call disclosure. And how do we get to this step and how do we go from here? From the outset, if anyone listening can think of a family's property pool as what they own, what they owe, what they may have access to in terms of their finances as just um, a thing that we call the property pool. I like to call it the property pie because it makes a bit more sense and it's a bit more friendly. But disclosure is effectively saying to everybody, get everything out on the table. Give me a document, give me everything that you have to show what it is that the property pool or the property pie is. So it's a way that everybody can understand what the marriage is made up of in terms or the de facto relationship, whatever it may be, is made up of in terms of assets, liabilities, super, all that. Yeah. And that's for both people in the relationship, isn't it? Exactly. And one thing to note is that it's an active duty of disclosure. So even if you're not sure if it's relevant, you have a job to provide a copy of the evidence of whatever it is to the other side. So You have to give bank statements, tax returns. If you are a director of a company, you have to give all of that information over to the other side so that both parties or both parties' legal representatives have a strong understanding of the sum of money that we're talking about at the end of the day that has to be separated. And that sum of money during this disclosure period, if I come into a large asset as well, I need to disclose that it's not just from X day. Is that correct? No, so it's not just from the date of separation. So an ongoing duty of disclosure. So, And that counts for people who say after you separate, there was one car of the relationship and they separate and they go, I've got to go buy a car now. So it's just keeping 
both parties up to date with where the assets of the relationship are. So an ongoing thing. So if you win the lottery two days after you separate, dang it, but you have to disclose it. Yeah. Okay. And I think another like common misconception that people may have is that inside their house, they have a lot of, you know, items that they've bought together, which they may seem that, you know, is of a high value, like expensive artwork and sheets and I don't know, dishwashers. Well, yeah, the white goods. So generally speaking, I mean, certain things like say you have a Monet painting hanging worth $300,000. Sure, that on its own is worth a significant amount of money. But when you're talking about all the things that are in your home, so your fridge, your washing machine, all of that, now they're very expensive to buy. They're a pain in, in the butt to buy when it's very expensive and you've got to fit out your home. But when it comes to separation, you give a, a lump sum figure in separation of just home and contents. Because the court says, if you were to sell it in a garage sale tomorrow, how much would you really get for all of this? So normally it's quite a nominal sum when we talk about it. If it's a three bedroom home, we normally say five to 10,000 for everything that's in the home. But it, it is a common misconception. People think, oh, I've got a treadmill in the back garage that cost me 10 grand. You know, they owe me five for it or things like that. It's not like that at all. Yeah. Okay. Because when it comes down to it from a legal perspective here, we just really want to know that bottom line figure, don't we? That's it. That's it. So if your home's worth 750 and you've got 500 owing on the mortgage, all we're really interested in terms of at the end of the day, we're talking about well, what happens with the equity that's left over, what percentage goes where. Yeah. Okay, cool. So that's pretty much what I understand step one to be. Yes. Um, then moving on to step two, which is contributions. Now, contributions, what, what does that come to, down to? I imagine that's just like my wages, is it? Or is there other things as well that can come into it? There's a lot of things that, be, that can be considered in contribution. Two primary categories, well, I'll say four. So you've got financial and non-financial, and then you've got direct and indirect. So you've got your direct financial, which is if you pay part of your wages to the mortgage, that's a direct financial contribution. And then you've got direct non-financial so if you cleaned the house looked after the kids mowed the lawns all of that who did what in that in that sense of a direct contribution to the ongoing production of of the property pool so what was it that took you from where you were when you got together to where you are now and yep. in what way did you do that the okay. indirects is where it gets a bit interesting because you've got indirect financial contributions so a very common one is where one party's parents say, look, I'll give you $20,000 towards your home deposit. That's an indirect financial contribution. An indirect non-financial contribution can be things like where one party has a specific skill, such as carpentry, and because they can fix up things on the home to increase its value, and therefore you don't have to pay for it, and it increases the value, it's an, indi it's an indirect non-financial contribution. So Yep. There's a large variety of things that can be taken into account and a large variety of things that can be argued. But effectively, at step two, what you're doing is you're looking at the property pie because you now know what it's made up of and you're looking at how it got to be there. So we'll use the example of 50-50, um, yep. the very standard 50-50 example of one party contributed 50%, the other 50%. If you were to separate the property pool as it was there, that could be the argument. And that's what most people think happens in terms of you figure out who put what where and you divvy it all up. But yeah, that but takes us to simple. the third step. 
No, okay. and that takes us to the third step. And the third step is the future needs factor. So that can depend on the person, I imagine. Exactly. This is a case-by-case -case basis. The very classic example is kids. Who's looking after the kids on a full-time basis? We all know that they can be costly little buggers. Yes. Um, there's going to be some real financial future needs there. So what the court says is rather than giving long-term payments of spousal maintenance or long-term adjustments, we just make an adjustment in the property pool division. So it was 50-50 on contributions. You make a 10% adjustment, just hypothetical figures at this stage, 10% adjustment that goes to the party with the, with the full-time care of the kids so that they can do things like get into a property that's comfortable, pay off a bunch of school fees so they're in a comfortable position going ahead. The other aspect is that often the party who's, who has the full-time care of the kids has always had the full-time care of the kids and has maybe not continued their career trajectory the, the same way the other party has. If you go out of yeah. the workforce for a couple of years, your career trajectory is stagnated compared to if someone continues to grow their career. So that's the idea there. But other and examples of things. Example of the, sorry, that was that example of the homemaker, isn't it? Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So the courts historically didn't take those things into account. Now they do. They recognise that it is very hard to keep a household running with kids and everything like that. They accept all of that. They continue going forward with that in terms of future needs factors, saying we'll give an adjustment there when it comes to the distribution. So things that may be taken into account at the distribution, like you said, is the, the you know, taking care of the child's school fees, stuff like that. But what about if you've got a child that has a medical problem and they need care and and things like that, does that come into? So that's correct with medical conditions of children, but they also take into account medical conditions of parents. It's It really is a, having a look at what costs are there going to be in the future that maybe one party has that another party hasn't, and should there be an adjustment for the consideration of that? So another example is if one party has, say, a degenerative illness. So you've got things like MS or Parkinson's that will slowly yep. get worse and worse over time, and therefore they're not going to have as long a career expectation and effectively it's an assessment of those things and whether or not there should be an adjustment to account for that because it would be unfair on that basis realistically yeah so from what you're telling me right now and i think this is pretty much everything that we say on these podcasts is every situation's different <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, and that's why lawyers are so needed because every person is different. But one thing that I find very useful with these sorts of general conceptual advices is that people then have an understanding as to what they're going up against and have an understanding of what's ahead of them. So one thing that I always do when I get um, a client for family law for property specifically is I send this and I go, these are the four steps. This is what we'll go through. One might take five times longer than the other, but this is what we're going to do. And at any time when I say we're now on step blah, they'll at least have that letter to refer to and understand what they're going to be going through. Now I'll be able to say, let's do the podcast about property, but... It gives well, that's that's half the problem, isn't it? You, you need to understand the process and understanding the process helps you kind of put a picture in your head as to what you need to do. And, you know, like you said, some steps will take longer than other steps. Exactly. And I find that it gives people some comfort that there is a plan 
that there is a guideline and they're not just roaming around aimlessly. And it gives that kind of sense of control that they have in what is a very stressful time realistically. And there's a lot of uncertainty because these processes take a long period of time. People often think that you can come in and go, we've agreed on everything and we're going to separate all of this and this is how we're going to do it. And you go, oh, that's not how it works, but let's go ahead anyway. It gives you that sense of control. Yeah, that makes sense. So we've had these discussions as two different lawyers acting for our clients in this relationship. We've gone through step one, two, and three. We get to step four. What is step four? So step four is effectively the job as solicitors and more relevantly, the court take a step back and have a look at what you've come to. So all the contributions, the future needs and having a look and going is what we have come to just and equitable. Is there anything that hasn't been taken into account that should be? And this is really important where you've got matters that have been litigated for a long period of time, circumstances have changed or things have happened in between when you first got your client to the final time. So it can be something like maybe you've no longer got work, maybe your business has gone under, or maybe you've become a bisquillionaire. And those things need to be taken into account so that it can be just and equitable. So court at all times looks for justice and for things to be equal because everyone's equal under the law. It's no different in a property settlement. So this is a very quick step. But this is where lawyers come in and we say to the court, this is what we've come to and this is why we say it's just and equitable and this is why this division should occur. Yep, that makes sense. That's so, effectively how property is sorted. Yeah, no, that's a it's a brief summary, but when you do go through the steps, you understand the process behind it, which is good. Exactly, exactly. And I mean, it's it's a lot more detailed when you're actually dealing with a person and their assets and their liabilities and their superannuation and how things actually get divvied up in the end. Most people think that if they separate, they can make an agreement to exclude super or they can just say, well, why don't I just give her $50,000 out of my super? A very, very common misconception. You cannot take a cash settlement from super. All family lawyers can say that that's something they wish everybody knew, but you can't take it. You can give someone some super and it can sit in their super account, but you can't take cash out of it. But so that's just a little misconception there. But people have these situations and they try and separate all property between themselves. It can lead to a lot of messy things. It can lead to you getting a poor deal at the end of the day. So it is really important just to get some strong legal advice, get an idea of what you're up against. And that's what we're here for. Yeah, of course. That's why we're, we're here to help, especially we can come in at the start or the end. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. We're, we're here to help at whatever stage you're at. Exactly. So I think that's a wrap for today, Lauren, unless you've got anything else to say. No, no, that pretty much covers the broad brush property law in four steps. Yep, very good. Okay, well, thank you, everybody, for listening uh, once again this week. uh, We'll be back again over the next few weeks with another podcast for you. If you've got any suggestions, please uh, email them through at info at adamslawyers.com.au or like us on Facebook at Adams and Partners Lawyers. Uh, Thank you very much, Lauren. That's it from me. Thank you, Cam. Thank you, everybody. It's all right. And we'll speak to everyone again soon. Bye. Thank you. Bye.